This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 13th, 2017, episode 1738. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding than just riding a horse. Knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Woohoo! Welcome back, Mary. Thanks for having me. I'm over there. I was over there playing with buttons again. Sorry, live listeners. I missed a button. We're here now. <laughs> we are we we did a little switcheroo this morning. I get to hang out and geek out on training while Glenn gets to suffer behind the scenes and call guests. <laughs> yeah, I don't envy that job. I I think I have like two buttons to push on this whole thing and it 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 gives me a panic attack every month. Every <laughs> month I'm I'm in I'm in sheer terror before it starts. <laughs> yeah, I think it's well. I hate doing it too, but I guess it's 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 unfamiliar. It's like oh, there's a lot going on here, and I'm not used to it. And Glenn hates switching too, but we're uh, we're going to go for it. And Mary's here for those new to the the uh, training regime. Here, Mary is here the second Thursday of every month, and we do lots of training tips and talk about really cool cowgirl stuff. And coming up this week or. This month, uh, we've got a tip on releasing pressure, why it's important, when to do it, and how to recognize when you're not doing it right. And in our listener Q&A segment, where our listeners submit questions for Mary to answer, we've got uh, questions about fussing with the bit, and scary stall mats, and hangry horses, and lots more. And then at the finish, we're going to quiz DP Saddleries, Barbara and Jamie, about the most beautiful saddle in the world, which Mary recently acquired and posted lots of pictures of all over her Facebook. I've been, I've been drooling over this thing for a couple years and, uh, finally, uh, finally bit the bullet and bought one. And so far I'm loving it. So we're going to have them on to answer some questions, but, uh, yes, I'm really excited about my new saddle. New saddle. How's it going with all of the tra- baby horses in training? You had gotten a whole herd of baby horses in to get started to become fantastic mates for trail riders, pleasure riders, or competitive riders. So how's it going with those guys? They're doing really well, actually. I'm, I'm ready to start listing a few of them. Um, and these are horses that I got from the Longhorn Cattle Company, which is a uh, AQHA ranching heritage breeder in Washington State. Um, I had to go all the way to Washington to find horses because, you know, in Texas, we just we have Don't this have shortage. In Texas. I know we have a we have just a appalling shortage of 
of quarter horses, especially. Um, but <laughs> so they're all doing really good. There were a few stragglers on putting the first rides on cause they were a little bit more peppy and, uh, more athletic and, uh, but, but everything's riding and going around really nice. And, uh, it's amazing. A lot of them are, you know, have the same kind of bloodlines. They're all quarter horses, all from the same place, raised the same. Uh, but they have such different personalities. We've got some that are, you know, laid back, lazy, just want to be good old trail ponies. And we've got one in particular. She's a Cremello. Uh, we have two. Well, we have a Cremello and a Perlino. And they're hard to tell apart. I call them the vampires because um, they, yeah, they shun the sunlight. They're, uh, they're really cute. I had to, I had them out on a dry lot and uh, their little noses started getting red. So I put them, uh, I put them in this really big stall together and they love each other and I'll turn them out during the day sometimes. And uh, the particular pen where I turn them out, it doesn't have a lot of shade in the middle of the day. So I usually have to bring them in before that. Uh, but one day I was a little late and I came out and there was this little strip of shade from the edge of my arena. And they're both just standing in it, pushing their noses into it. And they look so sad. So I call them the vampires. Um, and one is really laid back, lazy, easy to get along with. And the other, is she needs to go be a bear horse. She is peppy and quick and very darty, uh, which which are things when you're starting colts. Those are the ones I don't like for about three months. <laughs> a little tricky. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm holding on to a night latch the whole time. But then at three months, they get to be the funnest horses in the barn because, you know, they're, they're quick. They le- change leads easy. They can wrap around a barrel. So I'm really excited about her. Um, my personal favorite is Nugget, the Palomino. And Nugget is like a 99-year-old man oh, in a two-year-old. <laughs> like so you he's have just, a, a Cremello, a Perlino, and a Palomino? And a Palomino. Good and golly. A Dun, and a Buckskin. And uh, a two Duns. Two Duns. So they're all really cool colors. There's nothing that doesn't have a cool color. Wow. Now, with the with the youngsters, is there a set? Are there is there a specific group of skill sets they have before they're allowed to be listed? In other words, um, in order in order to be listed and available for a new home, you have to do A, B, and C, or is it more of a horse by horse situation? It started out as I wanted them to be doing, you know, A, B, and C before I would list them. And I, and I still have that to an extent, but there are some of them, um, uh, like one of the, the little Cremello that I have, uh, she is, she's been like calm and wonderful from the get go and she's less athletic, which is going to be a great horse for a large group of people who, you know, don't want something they have to lunge every time they want to ride. Um, and so with her, uh, I feel it's better for her. I'm going to actually list her now and let someone just kind of, you know, work on her in their own time because I've, I've got so much done on her and I feel like, um, she doesn't need any more like jammed in her brain for the rest of this year. She's just two. So she, she's going to get listed now. And, you know, with the caveat that she's lightly started and, you know, to, to kind of keep easy with her the first 
you know, for the rest of the year. And then there's some that I have that are really athletic and a little bit more peppy. So I want them to have a lot more training before they leave. But, but in general, I want them to, uh, stand tied, which they'll do. I want them to load in a trailer, you know, and with no problem, which they'll do. I want them to stand for the ferry, those kinds of things, uh, stand to have a saddle on. They should be able to walk, trot and canter on a loose rein. They should have basic, a basic handle. Like if I, pull on your right rein you should go right and you know right left forwards backwards um that kind of stuff and and so everything has that right now uh and then there's a few that i just want to put a little bit more uh fanciness on like teach them to line up to come get you on the mounting block type of stuff Mm -hmm. uh so so yeah yeah yeah, that's that's the added value package yeah yeah. And, you know, people freak out at that maneuver. And it's something that I kind of just, it takes me 15 minutes to teach. And once they got it, they got it. And uh, that's the one where if I show a video of it, people are like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? And I still need to film a video on how to do it. It's really easy. <laughs> um, but now when uh, you do that, Mary, and you post uh-huh. it to your YouTube channel, Please make sure that the video is properly branded and make it available for ads because it'll go nuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I am the worst marketer in the whole world. Uh, Most horse you know, people are. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'll see, uh, I'll see someone do a video that has nearly exactly the same thing. I put my video, but they market it better and they, you know, they get like 300,000 fans on Facebook. I'm like, darn it. (laughs) We're just as bad. I'm just, (laughs) I know. Yeah. I'm just like, Hey, look, I played with my horse today. You know, I don't do any like hashtag horsemanship type of stuff. And you know, Oh, if you want to learn more, pay 3999. It's just, I'm, I'm horrible at that. And and speaking of getting lots and lots of likes on your Facebook page, um, you posted some pictures of a few new um, impromptu residents at the Mary Kitzmiller farm the other day on your Facebook page of the feline variety. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we were talking about this earlier, and, and I think word has gotten out that I'm getting older and I'm already pretty crazy. So the cats have started arriving voluntarily. Um, I have a bunch of barn kitties and they all show up the same way as older kittens that are not very feral. They're pretty tame and they just show up in the middle of my ranch. And it's not like uh, we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So I don't know if people are bringing them to us because they know that we have a lot of animals, uh, I don't know what's what the deal is. So that's how we've gotten all of our cats. And two more showed up a couple of days ago. Uh, they were under my feed barn. Two cute, cute little kitties. Uh, so we're feeding them. And as soon as we can catch them, they're going to go get spayed and neutered. I don't know if they're boys or girls yet. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, I've got got more cats, which which I needed. You know, my, my cats I have right now are worthless. They sit inside all day in the shop. <laughs> They're shop kitties, not uh, barn kitties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, some some kitties are by nature hunters, and some kitties by nature are not hunters. Yeah. Well, we had. It seemed like last summer we had a lot of mice, which was unusual. And these kitties were really good at catching them, but they were they they are just so evil that they would just play with them all day, which I can't stand. I don't mind if you're going to mouse, but. But kill it quickly. No, kitties and, don't uh, do that. No. Yeah. It's not how kitties sadistic. work. Yeah. 
Ugh. Now, it depends on so, how hungry the kitty is, too. So, you know, if they're really, really hungry. And, I, and when I was a little kid, I would ask my mommy, he's like, why is they play with the kitty? My mom would say, they're tenderizing it. Oh. And I got that. My dad was a butcher. Yeah. I understood tenderizing meat. Yeah. I understood what that meant. So, so oh, they're tenderizing it. They'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Well, they could do that when it's dead, too. <sighs> oh, my gosh. So there we go. So that's what we've got going on there. And uh, not to put any pressure on you, but it's time for our training tip. So what is it this month? Okay. So uh, I had two situations, both involving Mustangs, that kind of uh, made me think of this. And uh, it's kind of cliche at this point, uh, but when we're talking about training, most training involves uh, pressure and release of pressure. Uh, The pressure is not the important part of the equation, in my opinion, it's the release. And I'm sure anyone who's followed a big time horse training guru has heard, oh, it's the release that teaches the horse. And and we've kind of heard it so often at this point that I think you get kind of numb to it. Um, but the situations I'm talking about, I went to the Kentucky Extreme Mustang makeover this weekend and uh, it was really cool. And uh, as we were packing up our booth, I noticed uh, people were having problems getting a Mustang loaded in the parking lot. So I went over there with, with my flag and, and it, it got away from, from everybody like three or four times running oh, around no. the parking lot. Yeah. He this was not one of good. The no, no, no. He was one of the greener Mustangs and he was big. He was, he was very drafty. And, uh, so I don't think he got as far along in his training as some of the others. And what I noticed about him uh, was he didn't have a good, uh, understanding of how to follow the feel on a halter. And so, uh, I kind of hung back and I, and I was looking at him. I'm like, you know, you could wail on this horse. It's just going to make it worse because he knows how to get out of a bind. He knows how to get away from people. So it's not a matter of using the right kind of whip or hitting them hard enough or, or pulling on them in a certain way. None of those things are going to work because he already knows how to get out of it. Uh, so it, so it doesn't, and he's a big guy, you know, so it's going to be more difficult to make him feel compelled to do something using pressure alone. He's got the big so, boot syndrome. Sure. Yeah. Totally yeah. Get it. And, and you know, these Mustangs, even the big kind of dull looking ones, uh, they are masters of getting out of a bind. They're the, they're usually very clever at being able to find a spot where you're vulnerable and pull the rope out of your hands. And I mean, cause that's how they survive in the wild is, you know, making sure there's an escape route. So, uh, one of the times he ran off, I grabbed a hold of him. And uh, when I turned around, the guy who was loading him before, he was gone. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm doing this now. And I felt bad. I didn't want to feel like, oh, I'm taking over the situation. But there's no one there. So I'm like, okay, great. I hope he doesn't kill me in the trailer. But uh, so I get him over there. And um, I had a friend of mine hold a flag behind me. And uh uh, with trailer loading and, and getting your horse into any kind of area, whether it's a wash bay or a stall or, or over an obstacle, um, the important thing is uh, I don't really pull all that much. Because think about it. If someone in front of the horse is pulling on them as hard as they can and someone behind the horse is pressuring them, where where's the release? The horse is getting pressured on both ends. He doesn't feel good on either end. That's why he was running away because he thought, well, if I just bolt to the side, then I get my release. 
So all I did was kept his head pointed at the opening while the person behind me just created just, and that's the thing is too much pressure. And this guy knew all he had to do was pull a certain way and he could get away. He wasn't going to get away from me, but he didn't know that at the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, so you can't use too much pressure in that situation. You mm-hmm. you have to use just enough to get him thinking. And, you, have, you know, backing off was what he needed, even though he was a big, burly, some would call him disrespectful. I would disagree with that. But, you know, just kind of a big, pushy, burly horse. Uh, you would think, oh, he needs to be, you know, he needs his little bell rung. Well, that's not true. He was obviously very sensitive because he kept running away from the situation. So one of the things that we did that worked was anytime there was any sort of try, I'm not talking putting a foot in the trailer, like a a period of time where he would just lean forward to get a bit. And the guy behind me was really, we were both really in tune with our tummy. We would just stop and sit there and then the horse would go, oh, and he'd take a breath like, okay, okay, there is there is a point to this. Because before, people were just pulling on him from both ends. It's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had no idea what the answer was other than to run. And so then we, you know, give him a little break and then we try again. He just, you know, all I had to do was keep his nose pointed at the opening. Guy behind me would would add a little pressure. And any little try, like I'm talking you could see the change in his eye. That's how little it takes. And we would stop. And those long pauses were what made him go, okay, this is going to be okay. And what normally always happens in this situation is the horse will relax enough that they'll start putting their head in the trailer. They'll start nosing at the mats like, okay, what's this thing made of? And then he just walked on. Um, that's another thing. funny when they do that? Just, yeah, that's all they All of a sudden, the time. light bulb goes on and go, well, I may as well just go in here. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and um, uh, and that's what they do. They they want to do the right thing. But if you're just, you know, pushing on them, pushing on them, pushing on them, a lot of them will just say, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. And that was, the, you know, another important thing is I had people behind me. They're like, okay, you want me to be ready to close the door on them? I'm like, no. <laughs> if he wants to back off. He can, you know, a a horse that won't trailer load, if they don't, if they think as soon as they get all four feet in there, they're going to get trapped, they're not getting on. But if you say, listen, you can back off as many times as you want. We're going to load again, but you're allowed to back off. You'll be surprised after five minutes of getting on and off, on and off, they'll just load and stand there because they know you're not going to try and squish them in there right away. And, uh, you know, it makes, it makes the biggest difference. You know, it's like me. Uh, I'm terrified of heights and, you know, if, if I was trying to jump off the high dive as a kid, that used to be the scariest thing to me. And I had some, someone behind me, like pushing me every step, I would go crazy. I'd, I'd be horribly upset. I wouldn't do it. But if you let me just stand there and take my time and kind of get myself psyched up, then I'll do it. Yeah. Let it, let you get your bearings. That's very interesting because the horse that initially learns to just pull away from the human and just remove themselves from the stressful and pressurized situation will frequently eventually become the one that rears when you try to load them because a a lot of times then they escalate they instead of just using a lead rope they'll put a chain on their nose and Mm -hmm. then they'll start yanking on that and and things escalate those pressures escalate and the behaviors become worse and even more dangerous because 
from my point of view at least, one that's rearing is a little more dangerous than one that just leaves town. Well, the and, <laughs> yeah, and all of those things, you know, look at like the horses being naughty, then I can see how your instinct is to get bigger with the pressure. All of those things are signs that there is too much pressure. If he's fighting, so if you take flight away from him, he can't run away anymore because you put the curb chain over his nose. Then he start, Then he's going to rear, and that's yeah. part of fight. Yeah. And if he's fighting, it's just a clear sign, too much pressure. And, uh, you know, uh, instead of thinking, oh, he's being bad. Okay. Think about why, why is he doing this? What's compelling him to do this? And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I worked for a guy who was ruling one of the big natural horsemanship gurus. And we did these trailer loading demos, uh, when he traveled across the country and uh, my job, I would call and try to find horses for, for this demo. And I would try to find the worst thing I could because there's nothing more embarrassing than doing a trailer loading demo. And, and the horse just gets in. <laughs> yeah. Being like, okay, you know, we got a, we got a real hard load horse and he steps in. Then you have an hour and a half to kill where you're like, well, if he didn't load, I would normally do this. And <laughs> so I would try to find something that was like just barely halter broke. And the ones that made the best, best uh, trailer loading demo was usually kind of like this Mustang, a big, burly, kind of more cold-blooded dude, because they would put up the biggest fight to not get in. They would be running around and rearing and kicking and trying to murder everything. But those horses were the best, because once you taught them hey, if you go in here, this is the answer, and you let him sit in there and take a breather, you can get him out of the trailer. He, he would always do this thing at the end of the demo where he'd back the horse out and just stand there, and the horse would fly back in. And he'd back the horse out, and the horse would fly back in. Because those horses, they're so desperately looking for release mm-hmm. that if you time it right, you'll make the trailer their best friend. Um the the horses that weren't as impressive would usually be like your kind of hot-blooded Arab types because you could get them in really quick. Those horses will respond to pressure. They'll be like, I'll do whatever you want. I don't care. But they're so they have so much stamina um, that they're like, I don't need rest. So I don't care if I'm in the trailer or not. I could, you know, I could run across the desert today and come back and not drink any water, you know. (laughs) And on that, and that whole, you know, the release part of the pressure and recognizing the pressure, when we first started with Scooter, when we got Scooter, we literally um, picked him up and pushed him into the trailer because he only weighed about 150 pounds. So he just shoved him in there. He didn't have any choice. But by the time he got loaded a second time, it was months later, and he was feeling rather healthy and full of himself. It, it was, it was, it was a circus. He was terrified. He was shaking in his boots. It was just horrible. And for him, for quite some time, because we would keep the training sessions very short because he was in such poor shape. Um, looking at the trailer was pressure to him. Asking him to stand with his face looking at the trailer from the side where you would tie them much less the back with the door open was pressure. And if we, if he would stand there and actually look at the trailer and not try to bolt away for 15 or 30 seconds, okay, we're done. Let's go back and eat some grass. So, and that took a little, a little bit for me. I'm going, really? That's pressure to you. Okay. You tell me he had that phobia, just like your uh, fear of heights. He was afraid 
of that physical piece of equipment for whatever reason. Don't know if he had a bad experience in there, if somebody loaded him badly, who knows. The important part was that was his pressure point. And we had to start from there. We had to start with, okay, the trailer is not an object to be feared. Uh, being close to it is not going to cause you discomfort in any way, shape, or form. And we had to kind of go through that first. So recognizing where the, you think the pressure is coming from the lead rope you're pulling on. Well, not for him. The pressure was coming from him being near the trailer. Didn't matter if I was pulling or not. <laughs> so I had to step back and really go, where is the pressure really coming from so that I could release it appropriately? Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, we, we forget, especially with a horse that's, that's fairly, you know, accustomed to people. Um, they sense pressure from miles away. Uh, I notice this anytime I work my Z donk, who's half wild animal, um, that, you know, I'd be working her and sometimes she would just stop and, and look off and off into the horizon. And I'm looking, I'm like, what, what is it? And I'd finally see like a cow two miles away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, even though most of our horses don't have that kind of wildness to them, they sense that cow too. They're, you know, they have, you know, incredible vision. They can see all around and they're, they're masters of it. And so it's, it can be that little that they sense. And, you know, some of them have just gotten acclimated to things and know that that cow's probably not going to come across the horizon and kill him. Um, so when we get these sticks and whips and flags out and we think a horse is a deadhead, it's like, no, he's just learned to go in inside himself. That's his defense. And, uh, so the, the biggest thing is not how much pressure can I use? What kind of special whip can I buy to whack you harder type of stuff? It's when can I release? When you train, if you stop thinking of how can I make him do this and instead look for when can I release? It, you know, if you, if you get accustomed to that, like when can I stop the pressure? When can I just let you rest? And you get eager to look for that change. You'll find it takes far less than you ever imagined to get a horse to do anything. Well, there we go. That's a great place to wrap up that conversation. So look for the release point. Very good. Yay. Yay. Well, we're going to take a quick break uh, for, uh, to hear from our friends at Amigo. And then we're going to be back with some listener Q&A. Another long, tough fly season is right around the corner. And the only choice for this fly season are the Amigo range of fly sheets because they're built tough and feature the latest in design comfort, bug-busting technology, and sun-protecting fabrics. And the Amigo range has a fly sheet for every budget, from the Amigo Bug Buster Vamoose with no fly zone to the Amigo Bug Rug Fly Sheet. Find Amigo Fly Sheets at your local or online retailer, or you can visit horseware.com. That's horseware, H-O-R-S-E-W-A-R-E.com. Woo! I think it's time for a question. Okay. I'm ready. Do you have one in mind? All right. I'm going to do, um, dum, dum, dum. where's this one at? All right. How this one is from Katie on our auditor's Facebook page, Katie Molden. How can I get a horse unstuck? 
I have an eight-year-old quarter horse that I just started working with, and she gets stuck when I ask her to move away from her buddies. Or maybe I should ask how I can get a horse to be more confident away from other horses. Ooh, that's a good question. It's a very common issue. And it's actually a bit of an issue that I've had with my own extreme Mustang makeover horse, Ruby. Um, Yeah, probably against my better judgment. I allowed her to get super buddied up with my other... I got two horses for this competition. And the nature of this particular competition is I can only compete with one. So I chose Ruby. She's a little bit further along. And I'm in love with the other one. But she's going to take a little longer. Her name is Maple. And they're they're the cutest horses in the whole world. They just love each other. When I To this day, when I ride around the arena... Uh, Maple stall overlooks the arena. And every time I ride by, she niggers at Ruby. Um, and so when I first started riding Ruby in the arena and she's a baby colt and she, you know, is not sure about moving forward. She's a very, uh, she's kind of like riding a donkey. And I mean that in the best way possible, uh, in that she's terribly clever, but she gets stuck. She doesn't like to go forward. Um, last night when I cinched her up, I cinched her up a little too 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 snug. And she just flopped over like a fish and fell ah! asleep. Yeah. That's what she does. She's she's. If I didn't know Ruby, I would have had a heart attack. I had to unsaddle her on the ground. She was asleep. She woke up and was like, okay. Um, so <laughs> she was totally fine. Um, but that's what she does. So she gets, so um, the first few weeks of riding, uh, she didn't want to leave Maple's corner of the arena. I'm talking like a five foot diameter. I couldn't get her out of it. And so again, with the pressure, uh, Ruby it has an in- incredibly high tolerance for pressure. Her reaction uh, to escape pressure is not to uh, go into flight mode or even fight mode. She's like a donkey. Um, Donkeys, people think they're stubborn, uh, but that's just how they uh, protect themselves is they go inside themselves and just shut, shut the shop up. They're like, I'm not home. We're, we're closed today. And so I didn't want to like welt this horse up trying to get her to move. So it all goes back to again, the release. So I knew that she she likes to stand still and be quiet and and relax and and that's going to be a good release for her. So I would settle for anything. If you move 2 feet from where you were a second ago, I would let her stop and think. And then I'd ask her again. And I would just put enough pressure on her so she'd circle this little corner and all I did is I put my legs on her. She didn't really understand legs too much at the time. And I clucked and I would take my rein. It was, I had the end of a Makati and I would just lightly kind of spank back and forth across my thighs just to make a commotion. And she would trot around in these little tiny circles and I would just keep going back and forth, back and forth. And as soon as she got the least bit unstuck, just a little bit, I'd stop, let her rest. And, uh, and so it took a few days, but pretty soon her little five foot circle turned into a 10 foot circle, turned into a 15 foot circle. And, um, then it, you know, by the end of the week, she was going around the whole arena really pretty well. But if I had fought her, 
that first day, we would have been in such a bind. So uh, with your horse, uh, obviously your horse probably has a little bit more, a few more buttons than mine does. But anytime they're with their buddies, uh, this is this is what I typically do. Uh, I was taught initially to, oh, make them work in, you know, make the wrong thing easy, right thing, uh, wait, wrong thing, difficult, right thing, easy. And I would really hassle my horses uh, to a pretty extreme ex- extent if they wanted to be barn or buddy sour and then release when they got away. And I realized that that was, that was only sort of right. Because if you hassle your horse to the extreme, um, you have to think about why the horse wants to be with their friends. And typically it's fear and anxiety. I'm afraid to leave. I want to be where I'm comfortable. So if you're going crazy with the pressure and you're kicking them and spurring them and whipping them, you're just reaffirming the fact that they should be afraid and they should have anxiety. Yeah, because they don't want to be with you just as much as they do want to be with their buddies. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I took the same concept of, okay, we are going to work even if you want to drag me to your friends. And as soon as you go away from your friends, I am going to reward you. I still use that concept. But instead of getting offended or being like, oh, I'm going to really work your butt off here in the corner, um, I'll just tell my horse, okay, you know what? I'm still going to work you right here. So I, I had this problem when I was starting reining horses um, and I would teach turnarounds. And in the beginning, when you're teaching your horse to do that reining spin where they're, you know, running their front end around their hind end really fast. Uh, when you're teaching it in the beginning, uh, they kind of whirly bird around instead of planting a hind foot. Cause it takes about a year for them to really finish, you know, get a good maneuver going. But in the beginning, they're sort of whirly birding around and they would always like drag me to a gate or corner and I used to get really mad I'd spur them harder and and really kind of pull on them like no quit dragging me over there and what they would do when I did that is they'd pull harder because they're like oh now I'm really scared so all I did is I let them take where they were going to take me and once we got to that corner where they wanted to go I'd be like okay well now you're going to stand still at least in this corner so I just keep working on it I would work on I, I wouldn't get any like more crazy. I wouldn't sperm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get mad. I'd just be like, we're, we're still going to do this. We're still going to work on the maneuver. And I'd keep working on it, working on it, working on it. And when they gave me a good try, then I would walk them back to the center of the arena and I would just stop and let them sit there for five minutes. Now, not all horses are going to be able to do that. So I'd walk them as far away from their friends as I could get without getting into a fight. And I let them stop. And, or even if it was a horse that has an extreme problem, I might take them away from their buddies, get off, loosen my girth and say, look, here's where all your release is going to be. And I do this without any kind of time frame in mind. You know, like you'll, you'll give, you'll give a little bit more try tomorrow. If I can get a 1% better every day, where am I going to be after a hundred days? Uh, so you know, I just get a little bit more try every day. So sometimes when we have a problem like that, like my horse wants to run back to the barn, they want to stay with their buddies. We want to fix it in the extreme. We want to be able to take our horse on a trail ride with no problems that day. It's like, no, it might be a couple weeks at least of, you know, let's take you out a little bit further away from your buddies each day. What you might be able to do even is uh, if you're in a situation where other people are riding, or you have someone to help you, they can ride a horse in the ring while you're doing that. Or what I might even do is take a horse and tie it at the other end of the arena. So they just see that someone's there. Like, okay, I'm not out here by myself. 
Yeah. And, um, I've seen, I've, I've done that here in that, uh, when I first got Nigel, who got Buddy Sauer immediately, he immediately attached himself to Scooter. Uh, I would put Scooter in the round pen, which is inside the riding arena. So he, at least he could see Scooter. So we avoided the whole freaking out thing. And then obviously, uh, eventually weaned him off of that. But that's a great technique. If you have the ability to have a horse in very close proximity or horses, of your buddy sour guy. And I, I found that very effective with Nigel. He's gotten to the point now, very prone to buddy sour. We have to make sure he and Scooter don't spend too much time together. He's gotten to the point now, as long as he can see other horses and he doesn't feel like he's the only horse left on the planet earth. He has gotten very comfortable with himself. Just, okay, it's just you and I, I can see a horse over there two fields away. I'm cool with it. Thumbs up. Let's go to work. Uh, and it took a little bit of time. So I think for people who have that luxury, it's a great technique. And then just remembering to make uh, this. I think this goes back to the whole pressure and release thing. You got to look for release and you've got to recognize the from the horse's point of view, what the pressure is when you go out and you're, you're working your horse and you're working on that, get him away from his buddies or have him alone. Genuinely find out, what type of work, we're going to use work in a generic sense, he enjoys with you. Does he like doing groundwork? Does he love doing lengthenings of trot? But search that. Don't do what you think he likes to do because he's good at it. Do what he genuinely loves to do, that he will literally volunteer to do. Find those skills. Ask him to do those most often whenever he is away from his buddy so that when you finish that ride, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour, he goes, oh, cool. I got to go out, be away from my buddies and do what I love most. And for Nigel, he loves doing the ground driving. He just thinks that's the funnest thing on earth. So, you know, if I've got a situation where I have to have him away from every other horse on plant on the planet, that's very likely something that we're going to go to. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And, you know, it's it's also some it's a bit sobering to realize okay if my horse is terribly barn sour or very buddy sour and they just get upset when they leave their friends what's that what that's telling me is they're not looking to me for answers they're not they're not looking to me for relief they don't find comfort being with me now that doesn't mean it's my fault sometimes it might mean that maybe i'm not bringing anything to the relationship it doesn't mean that i yeah <laughs> It, it doesn't you got nothing, honey. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't make me a. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make me a bad horse owner or means that I've done something wrong. But if I think of it that way, like, okay, you're not looking to me for the answers, and that's where you, sh- you know, if you, I want my horse. If there's anything that they're upset about, or they're not sure about, or they're afraid of, their first stop is to ask me what to do. Um, so if I go at it with that mindset, I've start thinking of myself like, how can I make um, the right answer for this horse, something that they find comforting. And, uh, you know, they start looking to me for, for help instead of looking at other horses or at the barn or, uh, or, or things like that. So when you kind of think of it that way, you start changing your training, uh, a little bit and trying to make, make sure that you're making them feel as good as possible when they come up with the right answer. There we go. Uh, another Q and a solved. Thank you very much, Katie, for, uh, submitting that question. And I think, it's about time to take a little break. We're going to listen to a song, uh, Girl with a Guitar, and we'll, we, will, we will be back with another question. 
in the morning and this month we've this uh, Thursday we've got Mary Kitzmiller here brought to you by Horseware and she is here the th- second Thursday of every month and I would say who did that song but I can't remember oh Chancy Neal that's it it's Chancy Neal you can find her music online just search for Chancy Neal and that was Girl with a Guitar welcome back Mary hello we have time for one more quick Q&A before we get to our guest um, I've got a big long list of them. Did you have any special ones? Just like, oh, I got to do that one. Uh, I like the one. Okay, two of the ones that I like are the ones about uh, a horse had a fussy bit problem, oh, okay. and uh, 
Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, where's, 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 there it is. Uh, Rita Hansen sent this one in. What do I do about a horse that plays with the bit, sometimes to the point of putting their tongue over it? Different bits do not change the behavior. Uh, I noticed that Juliet, that must be the horse, does not play with the bit if she is on the aids. Obviously, this horse is, I'm getting guessing, ridden English. I can't see the more because I have a screenshot, and she goes on to explain a little bit more, but maybe you could kind of answer this in a generalized way. Yeah, um, and I I didn't realize that I hadn't included the entire question, but pretty much uh, she was saying that if she puts the horse, uh, if she if she picks up contact with the horse and is you know kind of schooling the horse, it would he would uh, he would stop. But then when she releases, so so I I think what she did to solve the problem, or what she started to do, is anytime the horse gets fussy, she'd pick up contact and until the horse quieted and then release, and and so uh, yeah, that's one way to do it and um this is a fascinating topic for me because i had a horse that was very similar to this a few years ago uh some of y'all might remember my big palomino pal from uh he was my road to the horse yeah we have a picture we we post his picture a lot when you're playing with your garacha yes because he's so pretty he's so photogenic um but but yeah he was a big young goofy gelding with add and so he was very playful with the bit. Uh, and even even when I picked up on him, he would still kind of jig his head a little bit. But if I had a loose rein, I was riding him in a in a shank western bit. Uh, and if I would just sit there with loose reins talking to a friend, he'd have the shank in his mouth. So he was he was very extreme about being playful with the bit. And um so uh there's there's a number of things you can do. Um like the auditor is saying she would kind of anytime the horse got playful, she'd pick up contact and and put him on the aid, so to speak, until the horse got quiet and then release. You could do that. Um, uh, that's something I keep trying out and seeing how that works for you. Uh, the thing that solved Pal's behavior was uh, this is one of those things where. Uh, I got advice for solving a particular problem, and it really actually changed uh, my whole horsemanship program to some extent. I love it when that happens. Uh, so I was riding with Craig Johnson, who's been on the show a time or two. He's a, a world-famous reigning trainer. And he told me something that I've never done before. He said to pick up contact with the horse, and I actually drew up my reins just enough, like not really tight you know, not too much pressure, but just enough for him to be compelled to kind of set his head. And, um, and, and he actually had me plant my hand. I was riding one handed down on his withers. Um, and he had me for three days in a row, maintain contact the entire ride, which is very unusual for Western riding, uh, the entire ride. And instead of really using my reins to steer him or to create any kind of shape or lift his shoulder or anything. I put my hand down on his withers and I rode him entirely with my legs. So it was almost as if I was tying my reins to my saddle horn and just leaving it there uh, and riding and just pushing him around with my legs. And here's the thing that was really interesting. He said, if he gets really soft and nice, don't release, uh, which is very counter to what I had been taught yeah. my entire life. You're supposed to release the pressure. Like we just talked about, you're supposed to release anytime they try. And, uh, especially in the, the kind of more natural horsemanship side of the Western disciplines, like I was taught to throw my reins away anytime the horse got soft. 
So you could show me done right. And he said, that works for, a, you know, that's what you need to start with. When, when you're working on a remedial thing, like either you're teaching the horse something brand new and it's a young horse or you've got like a trailer loading problem like we talked about earlier, then yes, you want big releases for any kind of try. But he was saying that uh, at some point with his horses, uh, you know, he should be able to pick up contact and maintain contact and that horse should not get offended. And I noticed this about his horses he could pick up, release the reins, whatever he wanted to do with the reins. And his horses always were just very quiet, obedient. I never saw any kind of head tossing or tensing in their neck muscles. Or if he picked up and held them for a long time, they would just say, okay, boss, no problem. Uh, they knew it was their job. They didn't get upset if you held onto the reins too long. And so this is what he does. So Pal was a horse that I'd been on probably like 10 months at the time. And, and I had him in training for a training competition. So he had fairly intense training. Um, so he was, he was getting to be a pretty advanced horse. So he was getting beyond that point where I was supposed to release him every two seconds. So he had me pick up and plant my hand on his withers. And I just rode around with my legs. Uh, I would two track, pick up the canner, lead change, spin, stops, everything. Now, the first day looked really ugly. He had his head in the air. He was counterbent. He leaned against my legs. And as much as I really wanted to pick up two hands and fix fix him with my reins, um, I wasn't supposed to. And so the first day, he kind of hemmed and hawed and pulled at the bit and opened his mouth and played with the bit and everything. And by the third day, he was so quiet in the bridle. He 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 moved so much better off of my leg. Ding aids. ding 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 yeah. ding 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 ding. I I, I I get where yeah. it was going now. At first, when you were explaining this, I'm going, "Where are they going with this?" I totally get it now. Exactly. <laughs> well, and and that's when Craig told me when when the horse just kind of you know, just relaxed and was quiet and his mouth was quiet. He said, now you can start to feed him some rain back. So I started, I didn't throw the reins away, but I started to throw slack to him just little by little, just let some reins, you know, slip through my fingers. And he actually maintained self-carriage. He yep, did that's not exactly play with what the you just created. If you were in a dressage barn, that's exactly what you just did. <laughs> yeah, it made the biggest difference and he no longer played with the bit it took three days um you know now uh and so i've really implemented that in a lot of my horses after they've been riding for several months now i don't do that like 24 7 every single ride there'll be rides where we're just hacking out and i've got a loose rein and um but what i like that it created is at first my horse and i wasn't pulling his face off i i didn't have like hard contact and I wasn't getting after him. But the, when I first did it, he was so upset that I wouldn't release the second he showed me any kind of softness. And so he got really offended and didn't like it. And, you know, just kind of threw this little baby temper tantrum. Now I will say if your horse is so confused by this, that they're like crashing in offenses, pick up two hands, help them out and then go back to what you're doing. You know, they have to be ready for it. Um, And what he learned to do is he learned to release himself. He was like, okay, she's not going to give me this, uh, 
this release, so I have to release myself. And he learned that if he kept his mouth quiet, he softened all the muscles in his neck. He moved well off my leg. If they don't move correctly off your leg, they're going to run into that bridle. It's not going to feel good. Um, So it made a huge, huge difference in his carriage and and everything. And uh, after that, I could sit there and with loose rein, he would no longer play with the bit. It just stopped. It was like a miracle. Yeah. Well, I think what feeds into the bit player, and you see this a lot in the English bite, English world. You might see it a lot in the Western world. I don't know because I don't spend enough time. Um, the the I think what we demonst- you demonstrated there with that story is the difference between using your hands to move the bit in the horse's mouth in order to get them to move away from the pressure of the bit or to give to the bit versus sending the horse forward into the bridle. Yeah. He brings himself into self-carriage and learns to carry the bit lightly by using appropriate posture going on the bit, which on the bit or self-carriage applies regardless of the discipline, regardless of what headgear the horse is wearing. And um, in the, I think the closest thing I could, I could compare it to in the English disciplines is the difference between um, pushing a horse forward moving him away from your leg. Um, He goes above the bit and you move the bit or what a lot of people like to call soften the bit, which is sliding it left and right and left and right in the horse's mouth until the horse drops his head down. That's what most people do versus picking up the reins, asking the horse to move forward into the contact and not sliding the bit back and forth, but, adjusting the horse's balance with your core and your aids and the horse backs off that intense upside down pressure and brings himself into carriage of his own accord, which I learned to do very late in life and can be done with everything from a double bridle to a halter. And it works a hundred percent of the time. Um, And that's very interesting that you learned. And it's all about not moving the bit, which is just so counterintuitive. <laughs> well, and yeah, exactly. Don't move the you, bit. <laughs> yes, and if you think about it from a show standpoint, and and I I see this. I'm sure this works. Uh, this is the same across the English disciplines. But if I'm thinking, oh, so, so I'm riding a reining horse, and I need him to soften. Let's say I'm going to do a lead change across the center, and. So I'm going to pick up on the bridle to tell him, okay, you need to straighten your body out and something's coming and everything. And let's say if he tosses his head up, I, I don't have time in the three strides I have going at top speeds to change leads. I do not have time to pick up on the bridle and adjust his body. Like if he throws a shoulder or throws a hip one way or leaning against my leg, I don't have time. And I cannot, in the reining, pick up two hands on the reins and get it to happen where I'm going to lift up this inside rein and do this or soften the bit. I don't have time to do that. That horse needs to understand if my hand is in the center of your mane and I pick up a contact, you go right to that position uh, that you're supposed to go. You straight body into the bridle, softness forward. And so this was the thing that really helped me get my horse. After that, I practiced this on every horse after I learned this. And after that, I could pick up my hand a few inches off of his mane and they would just straighten, soften, 
there's still four in the bridle immediately within a few strides. And you need that if you're going to do showing and you're doing these patterns where you have transition changes and direction changes and, and, and all of that. You don't have time to really sit there and soften the bridle or do this or pick up this rein or do this. And, and if you do it too much, it's going to be very visible. Your horse no longer looks willingly guided to the judge. There you go. And on a, on a final note on the playful mouth topic, A, do not underestimate the value of a horse with uh, healthy teeth and a properly maintained mouth. And one of the things I learned is I had a horse with a slightly fussy mouth. It wasn't too bad, but it was a fussy mouth. Um, it was all me. My coach at the time took my bit away, and I had to ride at all times in a rope halter. I had to do all of the exact same stuff I did with the bit. I had to do lengthenings, shortenings, shoulder ins, um, half steps at the walk, all this really fancy advanced dressage stuff. And it all worked, and it all worked actually better with the halter. I had to do all the same stuff. And then three months later, when she gave me my bit back, there was no fussiness because I had learned to ride better. The bit was fussy, but it wasn't fussy because anything to do with the horse's mouth or the reins, it was me not riding well enough. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I'm going to use that. I just, my aids were not appropriate. Some of them were too tight. Some of them weren't right. Some of them, I was stiff in my back. I had all sorts of core along with my position. But the fussy mouth was masking it all. Once I put the noseband, I just rode in the noseband, I couldn't get the results I wanted at all. I couldn't get a fake shoulder in with uh, tight shoulders. I just didn't get any shoulder in at all because I couldn't try and force it with that bridle. And once I took that off, I was forced to learn to ride better. It was rather, it was rather humbling for a little while there, but well worth it. So there we go. That's our two cents on uh, fussy mouths. And I think we've got our guest on the line here. Why don't you introduce them? Okay, so these are the makers of my fantastic new saddle. We have Barbara Kaido and uh, Jamie Drizzen, who uh, both are with DP Saddlery. How are you guys today? Great, fantastic. How are you? <laughs> Good, good. So uh, I posted uh, some pictures of my new saddle. It's the, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of it. It's like a working equitation <laughs> kind of dressage with a little Western flair saddle. Um, and it's garnered a lot of interest. So I figured I would have you guys on and talk a little bit about the company. Um, first, I'd like to ask, uh, and, and either one of you can take this. Um, tell me a little bit about how this company got started. Whose idea was it? Um, and uh, yeah, how did you get this started? And um what what were you seeing in the saddle industry that you thought, I can do something a little bit better? I guess I'm going to take this. So, uh, you should Jamie, take that, um, Yeah. <laughs> All right. Being the CEO of the company here in the U.S., I'm just going to go ahead and answer that quickly. Um, the company comes from Germany. It's actually called Duber & Partner. Um, it's been in business for over 20 years in Germany, very successfully. Um, and we we have been getting requests after requests from the United States for these saddles. There is a huge demand um, with about, you know, growing 80 to 100 orders per month. So um, there was a limitation to 
what our customers could yeah. could expect when it comes to um, you know warranty cases and quicker orders and turnaround time. So yeah, we decided to come on and uh, we did so two and a half years ago and been growing since. Um, and the whole idea is absolutely to provide a horse-friendly saddle that is unique in design and style, um, that can be adjusted, that can grow with the horse, that is, you know, just a fantastic tool for any horse owner. And that's something that uh, drew me to the saddle. So first of all, you guys have all sorts of different types of saddles um, across the board, English, Western, sort of working equitation style. Um Besides all the different styles, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about what makes your saddles unique. Uh, the, how are they able to be adjusted, and uh, is and and um, uh, pretty much yeah? Tell us about the adjustable feature. How does yeah. that work on them, Jamie? That's something you could answer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can answer that. Sure. Um, the adjustability is it's really an adjustable gullet, but what what differentiates it from most of the other adjustable gullets out there is that it's an infinite adjustment and is really done with just the turn of a tool rather than, uh, oh, there's several other saddles out there where they actually, you have to pull the, a gullet piece out and put a new one in, whether they're a little bar or kind of a little U-shaped thing that goes in the gullet. And they tend to, uh, and, and all of those are actually steps. So they, you know, they step from, you know, from, from size one to size two to size three, where, this is absolutely infinite. It's just a, it's a simple turn of a, of a screw and uh, it makes it much, much easier, much more and much finer when you're, when you're really doing that. Plus I think that there's a certain amount of flexibility built into the saddle uh, being that it has kind of a composite bar in it and also has a, kind of a wool flocked panel um, that allows further adjustment in there if so needed. So, yeah. And we've had great luck with these, and 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 Mary, you know that we're both my wife and I are trainers, and that's where we come um, to this from is for through trainers' eyes, where we might have oh, seven, eight horses each to work each uh, to work you know each day. So being able to take the saddle, adjust it for for not just one one particular horse, but different breeds and and different sizes and different ages has just been a super thing for us absolutely super critical. And that's what really drew me to the saddle. And, and I've been drooling over them for, for a little while now, but, um, is, uh, you know, the price point, uh, I, I spent about all said and done with accessories and everything. I spent about $4,000 on my saddle. And, um, so you, you might think, Oh, that's, that's a lot of money. But for mm. me as a trainer, um, I'm riding 10 to 15 horses a day and I have about five saddles in my barn and it, you play this like musical game chairs, uh, musical chairs game with your horses. Correct, yeah. Um, you know, I have so many and, and I'm not even riding even amongst one breed. You're going to have a, a, so many different kinds of backs on your horses, but I, I'm doing off the track thoroughbreds and quarter horses of different ages, like two year old to 10 year old quarter horses. And then the hardest backs ever, uh, the most challenging horses to fit saddles to. I've got Mustangs. So instead of going through 
five different saddles and tack changes. And sometimes I've thrown us every saddle in my barn on a horse and I'm still out of luck <laughs> on getting a, a good fitting yeah, saddle. Yep. So I have to make do with pads, which only, you know, sort of help the problem. And, and I'm riding my horses knowing that I'm probably not helping them in the saddle fit department. So I love this one that you can just throw it on and adjust it. And I've, I've been having a lot of fun playing with that. And it's pretty much this little wrench that you stick in the saddle. It's hidden behind a little tab. So you can't really see it. Um, and you can, uh, you can change the gullet. And like Jamie said, um, you can make it as wide as you want. It doesn't stop at a certain point, which I, I think is pretty cool. So for, Um, for, Listeners who may have recently joined the circus here at Horses in the Morning and may not have seen the gorgeous pictures you posted of your saddle, it at first glance, it looks like an English saddle with some incredible tooling on the flaps that is rather reminiscent of a Western show saddle. But it does have some subtle differences. Yeah, so I have to say this was a little bit my uh, my brainchild right there. I just uh, <laughs> I've always dreamed of a English saddle that had tooling that was you know because I came from a Western background um, and riding in a very typical vaquero style. Um, but I, you know, I'm such a crossover type person in my personal life that I thought, you know, why don't I just do it? You know, <laughs> so, so, um, and I have to say also that the, the tooling is all handcrafted. Um, so of course, you know, that adds time that takes, uh, that takes a little more time in production, which does raise the price. Um, but the El Campo uh, saddle, for instance, is available at a starting price of about 2800 So if you don't care too much for, you know, the tooling or the bling, then you can get a super saddle for about $2,800 that has all of the functionality that Jamie was mentioning earlier. I had to have the pretty stuff. Yeah. I couldn't go without it. She's so pretty. So one of the questions we had from some of our listeners when they saw the gorgeous pictures is their concern that the tooling would wear off. Mm -hmm. I've heard this before. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't wear off um, as it's a very deep um, and nicely done hand-tooled and hand-carved saddle. Um, it's not an, a print. It's not embossed. It's, you know, literally in a nice Western skirting leather. So the effect you'll see in about a 10-year time period would be similar to what you experience from any Western saddle. Okay, so the and, tooling is and very I think deep. That's, yeah. Yeah, I think most people who ask that question are probably maybe more of the English variety, not not judging or anything. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I almost <laughs> chuckled a little bit when I saw that. I'm like, oh no, I've got like 30 year old saddles with tooling. It's it it it'll Correct. get a little slick, but it's not your it's not going away at any time. <laughs> no, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and maybe that is the difference because there is a huge difference between an English leather being used and a Western skirting leather being used, which is vegetable tanned leather. Um, and it's the only leather that we can actually tool. So um, that being said, this is basically like an English type saddle with Western skirting leather. Okay. So I don't know if that helps understand some of the viewers or uh, listeners. I wish I should say that there is a big difference between the type of leather we are using. 
And you were saying with the designs, uh, especially the El Campo, that now I remember the name. Mine is the El Campo del Flor saddle. Um, That's right. Uh, yeah. Right. Tell us a little bit about the uh, creative process that goes into these. Uh, who was designing them? What's the inspiration? How does that all work? Um, basically, imagine this company being headquartered in Germany, and Germany has a base of um, the Chamber of Commerce, where they uh, critically learn and teach how to become a saddle maker. Now, to become a saddle maker in Germany, you have to go through a very tough process that 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 is over three years. Okay, um, uh, Duber and partner in Germany actually trains new saddle makers, so we take an apprentices and we continue to to forward a, a trade which I think is fabulous, yeah, because it is a dying trade, unfortunately. So being part of that is really amazing. Now, uh, in order to be a master saddle maker in Germany, you have to do an additional 10 years on top of being a saddle maker um, and do a vigorous test. Um, and only master saddle makers are allowed to teach saddle makers, okay? Um, and that is what we have. In our German headquarters, we have master saddle makers, um, we have saddle makers, and we have apprentices. And they sit there and they design um, and they engineer these saddles. Um, and they go through about a year worth of testing out in the field before they are ever published. Okay, um, And it, it's a very long and lengthy process to come up with them. And they're very particular about how everything is done. And very accurate and all of them are horse owners and horse lovers so that of course helps a lot um, we also work with a, a lot of high-ranking trainers in Europe that do give us feedback and say maybe in the reining horse industry we have fabulous reining horse trainers um, that assist with that uh, we have working equitation trainers we have dressage trainers and all of all of which it gives us this great input of information and solid skills to come up with what you have now. And I think that's a really incredibly unique is how much not only uh, the different designs across the board for different disciplines, but the crossover. And uh, I guess, Jamie, this is a question I might direct toward you because we talked about this okay. at the event about how uh, I'm a Western rider. I'm used to my swells and my horn and everything. It makes me feel warm and comfy inside when I'm riding. <laughs> and uh, and you were saying, you know, you were uh, riding a Western Vaquero type saddle as well. And you've switched to this El Campo style, which is more kind of a dressage, almost working equitation type Um and and then you guys have got a couple of like crossover saddles that have a Western look. It's got a horn, but it's more like a dressage saddle. How do you feel about um, that kind of dressage element to a Western saddle? What what are the benefits of that? Uh, what makes that different from in a just English saddle or just Western saddle? Well, it's I mean it's an interesting question. Um, you know, not only was I a Western rider, but I was it was the the biggest pain in the butt kind of Western rider, a California bridal horse rider, you know, where you have everything were wades. I mean, you kind of had wades and then you had nothing else. Um, 
And Wade's uh, and, for people who they're kind of like if you look at uh, you know, a lot of the buckaroo type cowboys, it's got the big horn, no swells. It's a very, very punchy western, like epitome of western saddle. Yeah, what what they would call a slick fork. Uh no swells, but typically you could have bucking rolls and, and great all around saddle. But really I think a heavily Spanish influenced saddle. Um you know, where I was I was actually training um, uh, a mare for a paint mare for Western dressage and got to the point where I just realized that my weight just didn't fit her, didn't fit her right at all. And she was just too panned in. Um, and we had had, uh, you know, Duberg partner saddles around and some other models. And the, I think at that time, the El Campo was, was fairly new to come around. And, and I tried one of those, and quite frankly, the horse just moved better. Just moved better in there. It was much freer in the shoulder, and that kind of made the change for me. So, And it was very difficult to separate me from my weight. And I, I had been riding it for 18 years. And so, it, you know, it gets to be kind of a part of you. Um, where the El Campo, for me, was super easy to change over was that they both shared a similar cantle. So in many ways, the Theo Campo is kind of a, a hybrid, as well as some of the other models like a, like a Quantum, which, which the El Campo and the Quantum shared kind of a common type cantle, more of a Western cantle. But if you, I guess if you go back far enough, you could say, well, the, the Wade cantle isn't really a Wade cantle. The Wade cantle is really kind of a Spanish cantle. So it goes back even farther. So it all kind of went together. But it, it had that type of cancel to it, um, coupled with the fact that it was a, a narrow twist and an extraordinarily well-balanced seat, most importantly. I mean, that you're really sitting flat in that seat, and, uh, and it gives you an incredible amount of sensitivity that just, just beat up on any Western saddle that I had ridden. And, and keep in mind, my weight, my weight was a custom saddle. You know, it was a you know, six $7,000 saddle, and it was a $6,000 saddle, you know, 18 years ago. So, um, and it had lasted, you know, forever, uh, but switching over to El Campo, quite frankly, gave me a, a sensitivity that I hadn't had before, even in my, even in my custom weight, if I answered and, that at all. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. No, it's perfect. Um, and so the quantum saddle, uh, tell us a little bit about that. It's a, uh, um, and this is for Barbara or Jamie, but, um, so that's kind of a Western style. It's got a horn. It looks Western, but, uh, what makes it different from, uh, from a typical Western saddle you would buy? Um, so basically the, the quantum saddle is, uh, a short lightweight saddle, um, that accommodates a lot of our, you know, uh, riders that just are tired of you know, <laughs> throwing a big old Western saddle on the horse. Um, and it also suits all these short-backed horses, which I personally think is fabulous because I just feel so much better knowing that it's not going to pass the 18th rib. It's not going to cause any damage. Um, but I guess what's most noticeably about it is it is actually built on an English tree. It is not a Western tree. It is an English tree. It has woodlock panels underneath it. Um, that can be fitted by any English saddle fitter. Um, it is a fully adjustable via the Allen wrench system. 
And so you kind of combine everything into one hybrid saddle there. Um, all the advantages of having an English saddle and all the advantages of having a Western saddle. And it just flows very uniquely into one saddle. That's something I found interesting. Uh, you know, uh, it's been oh, probably 10 years since I've written English and, um, I like that uh, with with the saddle that that I have the the El Campo, which again is is kind of a tooled English saddle, might be the best way I could describe it. But I don't really need to put a big, thick, heavy pad on it. Most of my saddles with trees, I've got a liner pad and a big, thick wool pad, or I've got these uh, saddle blankets that have these special panels that are supposed to disperse pressure. Um, but uh, I, I actually had to dig in my uh, uh, my tack room and find my 20-year-old dressage pad to throw under it. And, uh, it, and it feels really cool. And I like the idea of having a, um, that's kind of, I'm already thinking about my next saddle because I love riding in the El Campo so much, but I show <laughs> Western. So I'm already kind of thinking like, okay, how can I get this? But it has a horn so that I know oh, the qualifications right. yeah. for, yeah. yeah, like riding right. in a Western saddle. <laughs> and the quantum's a cool way to go. I mean, a quantum's a very cool way to go because... I think the big difference with the Quantum is the fact that it has those wolf lock panels and it's dressed up as a Western saddle. It has kind of a Western cancel. I mean, it's interesting in, I, I ride in the Western Dressage Association of America. So in WDAA rules, I'm actually allowed to ride my, my uh, El Campo in, in Western Dressage, uh, even though it doesn't have a horn. Uh, the, the, they don't classify that necessarily as a, as, having to have a horn as being a Western saddle. And there's, and there's plenty of examples in old books where, where Western, and I make a little quote marks with my fingers, uh, saddles have, or don't have horns rather. What they do require you to have are, are fenders. So I actually usually take a cup, a pair of fenders from the quantum and hang them under on my, on my El Campo, which, you know, allows me to, to compete there and, and fulfill the rules and at the same time get this great feeling saddle. Um, but Quantums are just very, very cool saddle. A little bit wider of a twist is, uh, I think, the big difference on a Quantum for me, don't you think, Barbara? Yeah, absolutely. They have more of a medium twist than um, comparing it to the El Campo with a narrow twist. So, um, But then again, you know, all of our models have a different feel to them. So it's really important to to take your time possibly visit with one of our dealers uh, if you can and just sit in them try them out and 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 see what you know we're we're all built differently and the main uh, the main reason we make so many different saddles is so we can suit various horses and various rider shapes and um you know some people have a wider uh hip and bone area some are more narrow um, but we need to be able to accommodate everybody. And a saddle in a in a perfect world, to me, will accommodate that horse perfectly as well as the rider. Yeah, that's always the, the toughest combination. I've had saddles that fit horses really well, and I hated riding in. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm, obviously, the right. horse needs... Yeah, the horse needs to come first, but uh, yeah, I'm really loving this so far. I'm having a lot of fun with it. So if people are interested in having a look at what these saddles look like and and more information, uh, where can they find you guys online? 
So we have a homepage, and that's probably the easiest way to go. And look us up at www.dp-saddlery.com, or you can find us on Facebook. Um, it's just DP Saddlery on Facebook. Um, and, you know, you can search our website, and there's, a, there's actually a tab that you can click on that will reveal all the dealers, the fabulous dealers we have already um, in such a short time. So it's growing really fast. Uh, continue to check as we continue to evaluate new interested dealers and, and our growing base. Um, we currently are um, covering Australia and New Zealand and Canada as well. So just, you know, if you're interested, don't hesitate to look on that tab uh, that reveals all of our dealers and get in touch with them. Wonderful. Well, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank you guys for stopping by and uh, we will, uh, I'll definitely be checking. I'm uh, again, I'm already thinking about my second one. Uh, so I'll be checking <laughs> you guys out and uh, we will probably post the link to their page. So thank you guys for coming by. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Mary. All right. That was fascinating. That makes me want to go saddle shopping. I know. And, you know, <laughs> I love how they have so many different disciplines, um, you know, and, and and they're just my favorite thing is they're just pretty. I I've kind of been looking at Western tooled English saddles for the last several years. And a lot of them that I've seen are made by like some really hoity toity designer and their their price tag is like 10 grand or something and i yeah, yeah and it, and well because i think they were made for like an exhibit you know it was, yes, it was like a piece at, of art rather use. than yeah. yeah and and they actually so this saddle that i have is slightly different than a true dressage saddle um but they do have a full on this is a dressage saddle that's got the western tooling on it and it's just oh, it's so pretty <laughs> Well, that's while, all I care about. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go over to DP Saddle and drool a little bit. And in the meantime, um, we're going to hear from some of our sponsors. Dr. Rose's Remedies Skin Treatment Salve and Spray are 100% all-natural products. They are anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antiviral, and antifungal. Dr. Rose's are made with all human-grade ingredients and are safe and effective for treatment for all manner of cuts and scrapes on your horse. And Dr. Rose's is the must-have product here at the Horse Radio Network headquarters to keep PT Scooter's delicate white pasterns free from dew poisoning and scratches. Ask for Dr. Rose's at your local tax store or feed supplier or visit them online at drrosesremedies.com that's drrosesremedies.com in the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports it's all about how to prepare and repair ice vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse before activity prepare to prevent damage by using the ice vibes vibration pads repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow and because it's battery powered ice vibe is truly portable the essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair ice vibe you can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware.
There we go. Now, before we wrap up the show, Mary, um, you made a note in here in our uh, show notes here, something about Ruby not going to the dentist. Yes, um, Ruby did not get her teeth done despite the po- appointment that I lovingly scheduled for her. Um, so Ruby is my extreme Mustang makeover horse. If you if you haven't heard about her before, and she's the coolest horse. I want to say without jinxing anything that she's probably the best Mustang I've had so far. Um, she's beautiful she's smart she's talented she's calm like i could put a toddler on her now uh and she she'd probably be okay with it (laughs) um so that said uh i she you know she's a mustang they've she's six years old she's never ever had her teeth done um and so I like to get their teeth done uh, for these Mustang makeovers, especially. And, uh, you know, on top of that, she um, she kind of plays with a bit in the in a way that makes me think it's not general young horse playfulness, but that she probably needs her teeth worked on. So I scheduled her the appointment, uh, got her in the trailer, drove her and my horse Guthrie to the vet. And I found out there that I desperately need to get her off the ranch more because she uh, she freaked out at a number of things. She didn't like asphalt. That Aww. was very foreign. Yeah. It was like asking her to watch acro- walk across a big black lake. And then she didn't like her shadow on the asphalt. And Interesting. I know. Because, you know, I realized I ride her... Her shadow is not as stark at any place on my ranch as it was against that. It was kind of a faded asphalt, so it's kind of a grayish color. And, um, yeah, her shadow really wigged her out. And uh, I had to try and get her in the vet building. And I, I, short, long story short, I did not get her in. She did not get her teeth done, which to me as a trainer, especially after doling out all this advice about getting your horses into things, uh, I, I just felt like this huge failure. And, um, so I'd like to talk about a few of the reasons of why it didn't go down. And part of it is she just wasn't ready, you know, um, the only way to get your horse through experiences like that, unfortunately, is just to do them. There was nothing much more that I could have done at home or I could have predicted that would have set her up a little bit better. You know, I could have worked on maybe trail loading a little bit more, going over obstacles, but, um, but you know, you just don't know till you do it. So I, I have made a huge mental note that we're hauling everywhere now. Uh, she's going to a show today. She's going to be at an AQHA show, so she better behave because she's representing Mustangs <laughs> right. everywhere. Yeah, that's right. That you know, that's the thing is, usually I love going places with my Mustangs because people are like, "Oh my gosh, that's a Mustang!" I'm like, "Yeah, they're awesome." Well, this is one of those very rare times where. She kind of fulfilled some people's expectations of Mustangs. My my vet, you know, I was trying to get her in and my vet was like, are you sure you want to do this? Because then we have to get her into the stocks. And and then he made a comment about her wrecking his like facilities. And I was like, okay, we're not going to do it. Uh, and I had to be like, she's normally really good. But um So, uh, you know, a few reasons why it didn't work is one, she just wasn't ready. So, you know, we got her there, uh, and we'll just do it next time. No big deal. Uh, but two, I got stressed out 
And I got stressed because there was a line of horses waiting behind me. This guy, he's a great vet. So there's always this huge line of horses. He's always running around like crazy. So I felt that pressure. Um, And then there were people who were helping me get her in who didn't have the timing that was as good as the guy who helped me trailer load that Mustang. That's that's key, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And so there were times, and I didn't speak up, there were times where she needed – release and they kept whacking on her with whiffs and oh that's i was yeah yeah and here's what's bad about i was so like self-conscious and normally i'm not like this normally i'm like pretty but i was so self-conscious that i didn't say anything i don't want to offend anybody or you know like seem bossy so and then there was this other guy there really nice guy he was a trainer and he said can i try something And I just kind of go, okay, because I didn't want to be like, no, well, I should have said no. And he didn't do anything bad, but it was just, again, the timing was off and, and then my, and and the building's air conditioning and I have the doors open and I just felt guilty. Like I'm going to run up their electric bill. Oh, Mary. (laughs) I know. I know. I just went into this weird place. So it was this perfect storm of I got stressed. There were a lot of people giving opinions at the same time. So, uh, you know, I thought part of the trainer part of me was like, I don't care if we get her teeth done. I want her in the building just to say we did it. Um, but what it would have been the perfect situation for this type of horse, especially is if he, if my vet had just gone along with his regular appointments, it just ignored me and let me sit at the door with my horse mm-hmm. um, and just let her, cause with Ruby, she's the kind of horse. If you just sit there and wait, she'll think about it and think about it and then she'll go in. Um, so I guess moral of the story is stick to your guns, know your horse, um, don't be afraid to speak up and say, listen, just give me a moment and and we'll get this done. But I was just, I, you know, I was embarrassed and I was stressed and I wanted my horse to be so good. Um, so it she wasn't. She had lulled you into sense of security and it threw you because oh, she had been yes. so good. She's so just tame and it wasn't her fault at all. And yeah. I think it was because she was so. Bit. Yeah. Yeah, Cause she was so wonderful and tame so quickly. I thought, ah, you're Ruby. You're good for it. Um, and I even tried to get Guthrie in there, but she's not as attached to Guthrie. She doesn't, you know, as she is to, to maple. I should have brought maple. Yeah. See, Guthrie um, is the fancy older brother that, that the Mustangs all resent. He's that fancy, yeah. fancy hothouse flower, uh, registered horse. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I brought Guthrie there is because his skin is falling off. So, yeah. yeah, I'm like, if I could just combine this Mustang sturdiness and hardiness with Guthrie's mind. You and some of, some of the Mustang would rub off. <laughs> oh, Guthrie. He is, he's so, he's so pathetic. Um, and, and actually, as it turned out, it worked out for the best because I have neglected Guthrie's teeth. I didn't even realize it's been two years since I've had his teeth <gasps> oh, done. My. Well, cause he was kind of out to pasture for yeah, a while and my vet, you know, my vet actually brought it up. He goes, you should do his teeth. I'm like, oh yeah, I should. And they were horrible. So it actually worked out better that, you know, he got his, someone got their teeth done, you know, that's something. So 
Ruby's going to come back and she's going to blow everybody away. But yeah, one of the things that we're going to do is I'm taking her to a, a fancy hoity-toity quarter horse show this weekend where I'm probably going to get kicked out. Um, and she's not, I'm not going to show her, obviously. I, you know, I'm not even going to ride her if she's not ready, but she's just going to go. She's going to go for the experience. Going to go have a play date. Yeah. There you go. Well, that's important. Uh, so pl- play dates are important. Come back and revisit the problem later. When you're better equipped emotionally and physically and uh, move on. There you go. Yeah. Again, so unlike me, but you know, it all happens. We, we all have our days. She had That's a bad right. day. I had a bad day, but a learning experience. It was just a reminder that you uh, have to be ready to say not today. And you have to be re- ready to say, no, thank you. I've got this. And even the most perfect and amazing trainers in the whole world have days. Have so, days. you know, <laughs> not talking about me, but no. <laughs> no, we never have those. And on that note, we are fresh out of time this month. So thanks everybody for submitting questions. Be ready next month with more. And we'll do it all over again on the second Thursday of the month. And to find links to today's guests and show notes, just go to Horse Radio or Horse Radio Network. There we go. Horsesinthemorning.com. This is episode 1738. And you can follow us on Facebook. Just go to your Facebook and search Horses in the Morning. And we also are on Twitter. Our handle on Twitter is Horse Radio Network. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows, including this one, Horses in the Morning, with you wherever you go. Just go to your app store and search for our app. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It's available for iPhone and Android. And never miss an episode. Download them all. You can also listen to us on iTunes and your favorite podcast player. And thanks to our sponsors, Horseware and Dr. Rose's Remedies. And we'll see you again tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. Really bad ads. So tune in then. Uh, Take care, Mary. We'll see you again soon. All right. See ya.